Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening. Hello again, everybody. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. Another week. Thanks for tuning in as always. And Keith, I think what we should do is let's just reflect back about the Boston College game since we have nothing else to talk about, right? When was that? Exactly. Ten days ago. Feels like a while. It does. Instead of doing that, we will look ahead to uh, the Wake Forest matchup for Florida State uh, this week, which appears might be a soggy affair based on the uh, weather forecast. We'll hope that uh, clears up. But I guess, you know, before we get into, into FSU talk, Keith, it's rare doing what I do, being affiliated with Florida State, that I get a chance to sit back and watch a, a lot of other college football because I'm at the FSU games, which is fine. We talked about this before. But the way the schedule has worked out, we had an 11 a.m. game one week, so there was lots of football to watch that day. Then we had a Friday night game. There was a lot of football to watch. And then we had a bye week, although to be fair, I was <clears throat> took a family trip this past week and didn't watch a lick of college football this past week. And weekend. what did we do over this uh, family trip, Mr. Block? Uh, I didn't drown nor did I get eaten by an alligator as I canoed down the Swanee. So but you, you were in the uh, in the wilderness. I was in the wilderness, yes. Uh, I mean, it was roughing it from the extent that we were not tent camping. You didn't get hit in the head by a sturgeon or whatever those fish that jump out of the Swanee was, did you? No. Okay. No, good. we did see a couple. And that actually, uh, a, a five-year-old got killed, got hit by a sturgeon this past summer. Let me rephrase what I was about to, to say. The roughing it part was that uh, while we were in a cabin, not a tent, that's really not roughing it. There was no Wi-Fi, no TV, and and I couldn't even find a game on the radio on Saturday. So that that so was the, the extent the of yips, roughing it. The yips hit you exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is this was a dial radio that I was tuning, trying to adjust the antenna to find a game, and I still couldn't find one. But anyway, so you know we're a quarter of the way into the season, and kind of the overarching themes that I hear from a lot of different directions is no team really looks that dominant. Everybody's got warts. Nobody's got very good quarterback play. The SEC is not as good as what it's been. I mean, those are kind of three or four main themes that are out there right now, and I don't think I can really disagree with any of them based on what I've seen. Some of the things that particularly that happened on Saturday, if you had predicted two or three weeks prior, I don't know that anyone would have thought you knew anything about college football. Oregon, not rated. Uh, Utah in the top ten. Tennessee, you know, just – blatant and it's been documented in the democrat i'm sure jeff has talked about it just giving games away i mean just bad yeah really bad coaches decisions you know the failure of of georgia tech to live up to the hype clemson don't quite know yet um i mean there's just a whole lot of stuff going on both in the acc and across the country that i mean it's been a peculiar first three or four weeks i thought the most interesting thing that i saw this past weekend and i don't know how much it's been discussed on these airwaves i haven't seen a lot of traction nationally uh, though i haven't looked for it this week but frank beamer made some comments i guess sunday or monday is when i saw it I, i can't recall which but it was to the he was being asked about a, a slow start or whatever Virginia Tech's record is, and his answer was something to the effect as, "Well, those were just preseason games. Now it's time for the ACC, and these games count." Well, his and specific comment had to do with the loss to Eastern East Carolina, Carolina, yeah, where he specifically answered a question by saying, "No, we treat that game as preseason. The season hasn't begun yet." And it reminded me. In fact, you and I were talking. Uh, yeah, Monday. I call. I called you to see yeah. if you had seen this and, comment, and, and we had and, the same. And you and I were a hundred percent before you could get it out of your mouth. I was already verbalizing it. That this sounds like the things that, unfortunately, Coach Bowden was saying. You know, during the tail end of his uh, career as a head coach, you know, when he would make the comment, "Hey, wait a minute, guys, fifty percent of every team lost on Saturday." Okay, and then my favorite one, and Coach gets annoyed at me about this all the time, but he kept calling Jeff Jeffrey, and 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 every time you say Jeffrey, I think of that four year old and that Bill Cosby comedy routine that's annoying people on the airplane. You know, don't call him Jeffrey, call him Jeff. Yes, we know fifty percent of the teams lose every week. Beamer coming out and saying no, that's like preseason. The real season's just now beginning. I mean, you and I were on point immediately yeah it just just doesn't that doesn't play well it it harkened back to the end of the bobby era for me which is which is interesting because we're playing 
FSU's playing Wake Forest this week. And the end sort of started when Wake Forest came into Doe Campbell and put up a 30-zip shutout over FSU. And that's when the wheels were in motion and, and well, really, and came off the track, I guess. And, and change started happening. It led to Jimbo coming in. But I don't know what the exit strategy is going to be in Blacksburg. Having been through it here, I, I'm sure that Virginia Tech fans are divided on it because it was staunch division here. And I used to work with the Seminole Clubs and would go out and address a lot of alumni clubs. And you had half the camp that thought Bobby should stay forever and the other half thought it was time to make a change yesterday. And I imagine it's the same thing in Blacksburg, but it, it, it's it, it's not going to end well if he holds on. And that and that com- I was just astounded when I read that when I read that quote. The the thing that is common amongst the two situations is that the longer the head coach hangs on, the more divided even if it's 50-50, 45-55, whatever it is, the bigger the chasm is between those that say he needs to say and those that say he needs to go. And the louder each camp exactly. becomes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it I'm, just creates you know, unnecessary dialogue that, that ends up many times people saying things that are not kind and maybe they really don't mean, but they're so – frustrated by where things are that you know human nature being human nature well we'll, we'll wrap up the, you know we're not going to spend this whole hour talking about virginia tech i do think that's interesting frank beamer's the winningest active coach out there right now so there's a lot of similarity and and oh by the way east carolina with that win over virginia tech now has the second longest winning streak over acc teams behind fsu because they've won five in a row in i was going to repeat that i don't make sure our listeners yeah, understand no, that's this. that's five in a row for the pirates over acc teams uh, trailing fsu's current streak right now meanwhile, well, meanwhile auburn is what over the last six yeah, or seven Auburn's games on like FBS. one and seven against FBS teams or some <laughs> one and six in their last seven or eight. I mean, it's just interesting times. Let's let's bring it back to Florida State because most of the conversation about FSU, uh, one thing bye weeks do, you know, the team can get back to fundamentals and all that. It just gives message boards and talk show folks and everybody else, reporters, more time to just stir the pot and, and throw conjecture out there and see what sticks and all that. But, I, you know, the, the conversation in, in Tallahassee and regarding FSU has been quarterback related and i to be fair let's go back to the beginning of the season because ever since everett golson announced that he was going to come and play his fifth year at fsu i would say 99 percent of the people out there reporters media fans in general assumed or wanted everett golson to be the starter you were in the minority that thought Sean McGuire should have been the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season. So here we are, three games in, FSU's 3-0. and What would be different right now if McGuire had been the starter as we sit here getting ready for Wake Forest? Uh, you would be better off because McGuire would have done better in the passing game than Everett has done because, remember, Everett's biggest strength was going to be his ability to run. Well, that failed miserably against Boston College. So if he can't run, he cannot throw the ball, in my opinion, as well as Sean can. And if Sean had started and done well, we'd still be 3-0. and But you'd be better off offensively than where you are right now. This is going to be, and we'll talk about this more as, as this particular show uh, unveils itself, but this is going to be a very, very uh, timely a revealing game against Wake Forest comes Saturday, in my estimation. Even if the statistics were exactly the same and the scores of the games were exactly the same, not that Jimbo's worried about managing fan expectations because he's not. He doesn't care. But from a selling it to your team standpoint, if you had started McGuire and said, you know, we're going to let Golson ease into this, he's still learning the system. Right now, if you were unenthused about how McGuire had played through three games, you can make a better sales pitch that Golson has come along and progressed. And, and we're and going to start him now. We're going to give him a chance. Going the way it went with Golson struggling, again, not that Jimbo's worried about giving a sales pitch to the fans, but you could it, it, it's completely opposite because you, now you, you have the guy the guy you picked has not worked out and you got to go to the guy who's been here who wasn't good enough to hold on to the job you so bench him completely now different you, you scenario. bench golston now and you're admitting as the head coach that you made a bad decision now let me ask you this and i don't think it was a bad decision to bring golston in and try it i mean i, I no, i'm not I, talking about bringing him in yeah. i'm talking about naming yeah. him the starter right and and we'll see what what the future holds for Golson. We talked about this last week, and it, it'll be interesting to see how this week unfolds. You know, if you're going to make a change, do you make the change at the start of the Wake Forest game? Does it happen in the game, which is what you said? I mean, would you want to make a change before Miami? 
I'll let you revisit that, and then I have my thoughts on this. Well, but remember one other thing. Even though Golson is a fifth-year senior, graduate transfer, don't underestimate the proverbial, and we, and we overuse this in sports, particularly in football, but we overuse it, the proverbial, the light comes on. This is all mental with Everett. It's all upstairs. His ability to comprehend Jimbo's offense, to see the things the way Jimbo wants him to see him, to react the way Jimbo is teaching him to react. That light could come on, you know, overnight, so to speak. And he could be everything we expect him to be. The question is, how long do you go waiting for that to potentially happen? And what if it never happens? So I'm not discounting or saying that that Everett can't be a, a very good quarterback for Florida State and help them win ball games. That light could come on, but what we've been told by what Jimbo has said and what he hasn't said, and, and I'll go ahead and throw it out there. People can be annoyed, but you know, and he hadn't let he hadn't let Everett talk to the press. He's only made him available for comment one time during media day. So no one's being able to ask Everett any questions or get a read on Everett's answers. But we do have to remember, and I'm not saying you bank everything on it, but we do have to remember that even though he's an older player, he's new in the system, that light can come on, something good could happen. It's just how long do you wait? Right. Well, and so a couple things here. We had Clint Trickett on our very first show. He talked about transitioning to West Virginia. And as astute as he was as a coach's kid, that knows an awful lot of X's and O's and is now coaching himself, he said it took to game four before he could win the starting job at West Virginia. Well, here we go into game four, so maybe that light does go on now. Tell you what, we we have more time to to get into this uh, because your point about Everett not being available to the media is something that uh, I want to discuss a little bit further too. But we'll step aside now. We'll come back, continue our Florida State football talk with uh, one of the defensive uh, stars, maybe an unsung uh, guy at this point in terms of the way his career's unfolded, but really a key player for Charles Kelly's defense. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll uh, conduct that interview on the other side of this break. Stay with us as we are just getting warmed up here in the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on the front row. Thanks for sticking with us, Tom Block and Keith Jones, and we'll continue our Florida State football conversation. The Knowles get Wake Forest this week, FSU. 3-0, and and one of the biggest bright spots for this team this year has been the improved play of that Florida State defense, which is in the top 10 this week and, and really uh, looks as if it's just scratching the surface of how good it can truly become. One of the guys who's been an unsung hero uh, for this team is LaMarcus Brutus, and he's kind enough to join us now. LaMarcus, thanks for a few minutes of your time. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? We, we're doing great. We appreciate it. And, uh, you know, this is a broad question that I'll start with, but when you compare last year's defense to the success this year's defense is having, uh, can you explain why why the results are so much better right now? Um, it's just a few stuff that we emphasized this year that we probably didn't emphasize last year. We emphasized on, you know, tackling better than we did last year. I know we had a pretty good defense, but we could have had even better defense, but we had a few missed tackles that led to big plays and, you know, we try to cut down on that, and we emphasize uh, breaking the stagnant like our D line, and, and everybody on the defense side of the ball is getting to the ball on the stone when it ran to you know cut down also on some missed tackles, and you never know a ball might pop out, you might get a fumble. So it is something we really emphasize this year. I want to ask you: We're talking with Lamarcus Brutus. Uh, for you personally, what this is like to to be in your in your senior year, your last go round. And, you know, you're just – this will be your fourth start, I guess, coming up this week. You just earned the starting nod at the beginning of the year. And, and 
you're aware of this, but to put it in perspective for our listeners, when you go back, you were part of the number one recruiting class when FSU brought it in, and, and the other DBs in that class and included Carlos Williams and Nick Waysom and your high school teammate Keelan Smith and Tyler Hunter. And uh, I don't, I don't want to – I mean, you were a three-star prospect coming in, and it's taken you a while to get to this point where you're contributing as you are. So how much satisfaction and pride is there for you personally uh, to know that you've persevered and now you're a starter back there for FSU? Um, yes, it's satisfying from from where I've made it to, from where I was. Um, I'm not, of course, I'm not complacent with where I'm at, but uh, it's very, it's very fulfilling to know that all your hard work is finally paying off, and that staying with the process and believing in you know the coaching staff and believing in the team and just believing in your hard work is is paying off and not going you know going with it and going or taking for granted. So. But it finally be paying off in the need to become a starter and be able to help the team. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of that myself. I want to ask you, and then I'll let Keith weigh in. You know, that 2011 class, when you guys showed up, uh, if you can recall, I don't know, that August or whenever you all got together as a team, uh, you, you looked around the room because I, I look back at the signing list right now, and, and I may have left somebody off, but but guys that are in the NFL right now from that class are Carlos Williams, Devontae Freeman, Kelvin Benjamin, Rashad Green, Timmy Jernigan, James Wilder Jr., Nick O'Leary, Bobby Hart, Tank Carradine, Jose Matias, Josue Matias, and Trey Jackson. I mean, did you have an idea when you sat in that room in August and looked around that that was that kind of talent that, you know, now they're in the league, you won a national title, three ACC titles? Well, I mean, now that you name them all at one time, that's a lot of people, and that sounds like my whole recruiting class. But uh, when you just sitting around with the guys, you kind of just never know. Um, I mean, everything plays out differently. Every, you know, we have a few players who came in with us who you didn't end with us, so you kind of never know. But us being a recruiting, the number one recruiting class in the nation, you kind of would expect us, you know, to have the top talent. So um, I'm not surprised that those guys made it there because I know how hard we were as a team when they were here. And I know how hard, you know, they had to work when they were in high school for us to be in the more recruited class in the nation. So it's not surprising to see them guys there. It's just kind of, it is crazy when you just sit back and think about it. Five years ago, we were all in the same room. We were all freshmen in college. And now everybody I came with, or, well, not everybody, but most of the people I came with are in the NFL and a few of them are still here with me. LaMarcus, Keith Jones, I'm going to go old school on you. 35 years ago, there were a couple of uh, safeties that started for Florida State that were like you. They worked hard. Uh, they kept their nose to the grindstone. Weren't necessarily touted as uh, being the most athletic, but they would never be outworked. Any clue who those two kids were? I said there's, there's, there's two safeties that were much like you 35 years ago. Uh, I'll give you a hint. I'm one of them. Do you know who uh, started with me at the other safety 35 years ago that was very, very much like you? Someone uh, kind of mentioned me as Monk. That would be him. That would be him. <laughs> and I tell you, Monk and I have talked about you, and, and one of the things that we have as the biggest takeaway, and, and I want to commend you on it, is your perseverance and your work ethic. Uh, it's, Thank it's, you. I really it, appreciate it. it. It's very uh, revealing when kids um, you know, come into the program and, and maybe don't achieve the type of uh, success from a starting standpoint. Certainly you've had plenty of playing time, but as Tom talked about from a starting standpoint, you're, you're a first-year starter. To keep their head up, to keep uh, engaged, and, and I'll tell you, Coach Kelly and I have talked about you as well. Um, what you demonstrate is exactly what I think this 2014, uh, 2015 defense has that maybe was a little bit missing from the 2014 defense, and that is getting around the ball, sure tackling in the open field, know your assignment, no busted assignments, and just work hard. Well, I would I would agree with you on that. I mean, you you guys are doing it the right way, and I want to commend you for it. I had the opportunity, oh, and I'll ask you one last question. I had the opportunity to play with a first-round draft pick by the name of Bobby Butler. He was my corner. You probably have been asked this a lot, but – you know, with all the great kids you've been around, what what is it that makes Jalen so much more special, and why are we paying so much attention to him this year? Uh, besides from being a, a great player, you know, he he practices to make every everyone better. Um, whether it's the receivers, whether it's the other DBs that's on the field with him, he holds everyone to a higher standard. And um, either you kind of just get with it, or it, we find somebody who does, and it, it brings out the best of you. It's not. It's not in a bad way. I mean, of course, 
he's not going to do anything to disrespect you and want you to be better. So you just kind of just put your nose down and work. You kind of just feed off his energy, feed off the way he plays, feed off the way he loved the game. And it, it makes you a better player also. We're talking with uh, starting safety LaMarcus Brutus from FSU. LaMarcus, uh, if my math is right, you've got three picks in your last six games going back to last year against Florida and Georgia Tech, and then you got one against BC. So uh, I, I, how's that feel for you, knowing that you, you've got to, you know, you're, you're, you're checking the box in that statistical column? We, got, we got a new ball hawk there, Tommy, a new ball hawk. <laughs> Well, I don't. I I don't look at it. You know, I don't go back and look at you know see what my stats is. Um, I that's probably something you do at the end of the year once it's all over and done with. But I mean, to hear that, it's it's not like it was a, a goal to you know. Well, I mean, it, it is a goal in a way because of course I want to make plays to get interception. But it's not like I'm like okay, if three games went past, I got to get an interception. I just kind of let the plays come to me. I, I focus on you know my assignments and. Me doing my assignments is what allows me to make those plays. Let me ask you, uh, c- can you give us a feel for what your responsibilities are in terms of, of setting the defense, calling the play at, you know, uh, each time you're out there? And, and there's a second part to that because it, it looked like it was missed a little bit in the game when you unfortunately had to exit early. But just, just kind of walk the, us through what, what your responsibilities are in that regard. Well, being as a safety, uh, both me and Nate Andrews is – our cross the line, the middle linebacker and the linebackers are kind of known as the quarterback for the defense, or at least in my opinion. But we have to get the, you know, we have to see the formations and the checks and get everyone lined up. I got to get a call to the linebacker on my side and also the corner on my side. And Nate will have to give it to the linebacker in the corner on his side. And that allows them to line up the big line and, and know what they have in that particular call. So it's basically our job to get everyone lined up and we call out the different formations. We call out the different checks so everyone be on the same page. And we just got to make sure we communicate with everyone. You've got this defense called Dime Rabbit, LaMarcus. Uh, that that just seems bizarre, but you guys seem to just love when you get those different 11 people on the field. Yeah, we know when, when Dime Rabbit is in the game, it's usually third down, and third down is down one to be off the field. So we – we take pride in that. We know we're going to have the the, the best guys that's going to pass rush the quarterback. We're going to have the best guys that's going to play man-to-man coverage or zone coverage in that particular situation. So we, we take pride in that. And those, when those 11 guys are on the field, you know, we, we only want to be on the field for that one play. We don't want to play a whole series. We don't want to yeah, they want to get on and get off. Let me ask you about uh, off the field uh, for for a couple of minutes here, Lamarcus. Uh, I, I I think you're scheduled. Uh, you're on track to graduate this fall with a degree in social science. Uh, I'm I'm sure you have aspirations to to go to the league and join a lot of your former teammates. The names I just mentioned a few minutes ago. But what, what what's the next step for you? Uh, because I know you have tremendous leadership skills, and Coach Kelly raves about you. I mean, uh, if and when football finishes, what what are your other hopes and dreams? Um, well, of course, I, my my next goal is to make it to the league and. Um, God willing, I do that. But it's not. I, I'm. I like interacting with people. You know, I like. I like being a leader, and I like. I like football. So I always wanted to be a coach. You know, I always thought about that, whether at whatever level. Um, and that, that's pretty much. I, I mean, as long as I can do something with that, where I can still enjoy what I do, I'll pretty much be fine with uh, whatever comes next after football. This. Uh... You know, I'm looking at, at some of the other things you've done. I know you're, I'm assuming you went through the Summer Bridge program when you first got here, but I know you've been a counselor there. For those who don't know, the Summer Bridge program uh, is a program at FSU. I, I think it's for first uh, first time in college, uh, family members and whatnot. Uh, but, and you're also involved with the, a Life Beyond the Spear program. Can you talk a little bit about that and how those have helped shape you and acclimate to your time at FSU? Yeah, of course. Um, summer bridge is something that uh, we go through when you when you first get to college for student athletes. It's like a a week long. It's kind of like putting your college career crammed into one week, and um, it's, it's kind of trying to teach you the basic skills and necessities to survive on college. You know, you get your, your school ID and show you how to set up. You know, your 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 school and stuff online. How you check your grades, check your assignments, stuff like that. Um, and you know. It teaches you different skills as far as like time management and and money management and stuff like that. Just the basic needs that you're gonna need to, to be in college. And I went through it my freshman year, and I've been a mentor um, numerous years. But it's been pretty beneficial for me. That 
that's what really made me kind of want to be a mentor for the other student athletes that's coming in because it helped me a lot. And, you know, I would I would like to help them the way that it helped me and me being another student athlete. I can kind of relate to them, and you know, of course, the other guys that coming on the football team, we have the same schedule, so I can relate to them closely and let them know, you know, how it is, and it kind of allows the freshmen to build a relationship with people, you know, that they they're away from home, so you kind of don't really want anybody. You might be uncomfortable, but it allows you to build a relationship with someone to get comfortable, have someone to look up to, you know, in case they need anything, they can ask me anything, they can call me, just stuff like that, just to help them adjust to college. And um, life is something new that started. It wasn't around when I came in as a freshman. But, I mean, if it, I wish it would have. It's very beneficial. I know one thing we did um, was a dress for success thing and basically teaching the freshmen how to dress, how to, how to dress for business interviews, how to dress for, you know, casual situations, which could be uh, beneficial in life because you only get one first impression. So I think that was beneficial for the freshmen that came in also. All right, LaMarcus, we're going to elevate you. You're now the defensive coordinator for Florida State. Our listeners are the media. In uh, 20 or 30 seconds, uh, give us the scoop on Wake and what do you expect in the game on Saturday. Uh, defensive coordinator, Mr. LaMarcus. <laughs> well, uh, of course, I expect it to be a good game. I expect us to come out, you know, very excited uh, because the next game, the ACC game. So I expect, you know, for Wake for us to come out with their best game. Also, you know, I don't expect anyone – to give us anything we're playing at their home field. So, of course, they're going to be pretty excited. So, I, I was, you know, I was just look for a good game on both sides of the ball. You know, look for us to keep playing our Florida State offense, Florida State defense, Florida State special teams. You know, nothing special. And, you know, just do what we got to do. Tommy, he's got that coach speak down. He does. He <laughs> does. Very well done. Hey, hey, LaMarcus, here's some trivia for you. You have any idea how many interceptions Monk, Bonasort, and, and my partner here, Keith Jones, combined for in their FSU careers? Combined? I'm going to go with 45. 45? Wow. A, you say in a career. Well, let me see. In a career. No, nah, I'm going I'm to change it. I'm going to go with i say 25. Wow. That's pretty good. 27 is the answer. So uh, now now I'll let Keith clarify, but Keith, you didn't have a dime rabbit package back then. Did, were you and Monk on the field every play? Oh, all, oh LaMarcus, we played 80, 85 of us snaps. We, yeah, were, we, yeah. we, we were dime rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, hey, congratulations on your success. Uh, good things come to those who wait. And, I know, or, and work hard. And, yeah. and uh, I commend you again on that. Best of luck to you. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. All righty. LaMarcus Brutus, uh, sort of the captain of that defensive secondary, which is a good group and a talented defense. A lot to react to there. Uh, uh, Well-spoken kid, uh, very well thought of uh, player by Charles Kelly. On both sides of the ball. Offensive kids. The offensive kids very much well respect him. All right, we'll, we'll step aside, come back, and uh, share some thoughts. Uh, we'll ask Keith to relive all 12 of his interceptions. That's coming up next here on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. back on the front row this segment is brought to you by madison social it is our uh, social segment of course you know by now that tuesday nights are trivia nights happy hour nightly from four to seven saturday and sunday brunch from 10 to four have you ever had brunch at three in the afternoon mm-hmm. i mean breakfast for dinner is something we do with the kids uh, quite frequently so i can't argue with it well I, I guess technically you would have the setup for brunch but at three o'clock it would be a late lunch yes yeah but th- anyway the brunch is is worth it unbelievable i have not tried this yet but uh meatball grilled cheese now on the menu i believe i'm there yeah i mean you can knock off throw a tomato on there and you've covered all the food groups haven't I don't you? Like including tomatoes. fat I, think. I don't like tomatoes all right <laughs> i don't either actually ironically so <laughs> Maybe we'll have to rename the show No Tomatoes or something like that. I don't know. All right. Madison Social, a good time as always. Uh, good interview with LaMarcus Brutus there. 
uh, who plays the same position or you know in the, in the defensive backfield as you did, Keith, back in the day. But I, I think it's to me, especially in today's era, which is all about five-star recruit. I mean, right now people want to know why aren't we seeing George Campbell? Why aren't we seeing Jacquez Patrick? These guys were five stars. They're three games into their career. You get a guy like Lamarcus Brutus. I mean, we're not in the era these days of guys that that are in their their fourth and fifth year finally getting a turn and so to me it's it's not and it's not it's not like he's getting a turn because they have no other alternatives he can he's play worked his he, way and he can in. play yeah some kids are late bloomers some kids are not gifted with all of the great great physical skills and that's why i go back and our listeners are going to get tired of me making this comparison but it you know the difference between the 15 group and the 14 group is that you've got some lamarcuses back there you've got nls up front you got naughty up front these are kids that have had to work their way into playing time work their way into becoming a starter they study they pay attention they know what's going on they buy into what the coaches are trying to get them to to do and they become better as a unit now maybe they're not the greatest individual stars but because they're willing to to give of themselves and they're willing to learn and they're willing to do their job then the, all the pieces fit together and you end up being a better overall product and that's the difference between the 15 group and the 14 group there will not be four juniors drafted off the 2015 defensive unit right. for florida state but the 2015 defensive unit for florida state will have better numbers statistically and comparatively than the 2014 group period and some of the guys going back to that 2011 recruiting class, you know, there's a couple guys that aren't around still. But the guys that aren't in the league, you just mentioned Nile. I'm pretty sure he was in that class. Derek Mitchell, fifth year senior up front right now. Terrence Smith, I think, was in that class. And then you got Lamarcus. So there's there's a lot more experience than what there was last year too. Guys, you know, like that that have been around. So anyway, it's, it, to me, it's good to see a, a story like that. I, as I've said a, a few times charles kelly loves him and uh, I, I wish him well and we'll see how he fares this week against uh, well and i mentioned it but i'll reiterate it in, in, in conversations the couple that i've had on the offensive side the offensive kids understand and recognize what brutus has done in order to get himself and put himself in the position to be a starter and they respect that and and i'm telling you uh, that is a true true testament to his uh, uh willingness uh, to sacrifice and do everything he needs to do to become a great college football player. This, this is a good a good segue real quick, and then we'll bring uh, our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld on next segment. But er- earlier we were talking about Everett Golson, and <clears throat> he hasn't been available for the media. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what all the reasons are for that. But one, one thing that's happened to me, football as a sport, and this has been talked about, you have a helmet. You don't have a personal connection to the players. It's a, a number. Time. It's just a number. And so what's happened with Everett, he's only been here seven weeks, and people have not seen any – they haven't seen who Everett is. So we're three games in, and I feel like the fan base wants to write him off. And part of the reason is you don't have a personal connection. You don't know his face. You don't know who he is. But in talking about a guy like LaMarcus Brutus or Giorgio Newberry – or Roderick Hoskins. I mean, these are guys, frankly, maybe not Brutus so much, but nobody at the beginning of the year was given Newberry a chance to be a contributor or Roderick Hoskins. And so things don't stay stagnant. I mean, you, you, you can perhaps, I mean, even Case and Beatty. I mean, you know, Jimbo forever says that we don't want to listen to it, that you just don't know when the light's going to go on and when it's going to happen for guys. And maybe say, does that light, that, that, light, that light thing come back on again? Yeah, exactly. No, but my, my point is, I mean... And it's a good point. It, it's you're, And it's coach speak. You're getting better. You're getting worse. But for some guys, I mean, you don't know. Maybe this is the week where Golson, uh, you know, is a more finished product than the FSU system. Who knows? And, and that'll be one of the things I'm looking for. And by no means do I expect him to become, you know, a Heisman Trophy candidate with an unbelievable performance against Wake. But I'm just simply saying, and, and here comes the balancing point. We'll talk to Tim about this as well. If Everett doesn't play well against Wake, how many series do you give him? Do you play in the whole game and then make the change or not? Do you do you play two or three series and then make the change? I mean, worst case scenario, I, how do you manage that? Yeah, and to me, and we got to go to break, another Jimboism. To me, it's more about the process and the results. So, for example, they could be up 21 nothing at Wake, but if Everett is making the wrong reads or what have you, 
it's time to give McGuire a chance. Conversely, they could be in a 7-7 game, but if he feels like Everett is doing what he's supposed to be doing, it's not time to go get Sean. No, and I agree with you. I'm not saying results-oriented. I'm saying uh, yeah. whatever Jimbo's measurement is. We're going to put it all on Tim to give us the exact answer on what's going to happen this Well, he Saturday. should know. He's he, there. He's the Seminoles.com insider, and he's coming up next here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. And we welcome you back to the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. Time now for our Seminoles.com Insider Report. And Tim Linnefeld is our Seminoles.com Insider. You can uh, follow. All of his uh, creative writing content. Uh, his musing. His musings on Seminoles.com. You also can uh, hear Coach Fisher, uh, not just here, but see his post-game press conferences and Monday press conferences stream live uh, right on Seminoles.com. Follow all Florida State athletics there. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. Good. Did you, you just did you just shut down the website for the bye week? I mean, how did you handle that? No, no, we uh, we actually kept it up where you could uh, could catch up with uh, all the archives and, and old statistics and old record books. Well, lots of fun stuff for that. Excellent. How did you spend the bye week? Did you watch every football game that was on? Uh, not every football game, but man, probably uh, an awful lot of them for sure. Um, got uh, got to actually watch the uh, the Florida Tennessee game. Fired up the grill a little bit for that one, and uh, got to watch that uh, that spectacular meltdown. Uh, the way uh, the way the rest of us did, and uh, and yeah, that was a that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Uh, it was. Uh, it was a good weekend. What was your what What was your takeaway from watching several football games? Just real quick, because I think this will segue into our next conversation. Uh, you know, for really, I, I'm not sure that there's a, a an odds on favorite for for the national championship right now. Is there? I don't know that there's a, a clearly great team uh, through the first month. It, it's hard to, to to say that when you cover Florida State because you really don't get to watch a lot of games. But just sitting back and, and watching all the teams. Uh, last week, I think there's a lot of teams that have a chance to, to make the playoff and win the national title, but I don't know that there's an overwhelming favorite. Did you see good quarterback play anywhere? Oh, gosh. Uh, no, I sure didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really. So, well, <laughs> there's I, our point. I just I, I took it upon myself to, to make the segue there. Um, that's, that's fair. Well, and, and, and you know, that, that I think those two can kind of coincide, can't they? Yes, yeah, so they, they certainly can. Well, now, the one exception might be the kid from Georgia who set the NCAA completion percentage. What was he, 25 or 26? Right, so we'll we'll give we'll take that as a one-off. We'll give him a pass so far. That's true. The the former Virginia quarterback. Uh, so so let's go there because that is what everybody's talking about this week. Uh, every week I continue to be astounded. You know, we went two years and we still talked a lot about Winston because of his off-field challenges, but we never had any discussion about should we get the backup ready or what is Winston doing. And we just lived with ah, he, you know, so he throws a couple interceptions. But so here we are now with Everett Golson, and I think the biggest question has been. Is he going to run? Are we going to see him run? Is Jimbo holding that back? Uh, is Everett just not willing to do it? I mean, what's your what's your sense on that? It's really hard to say, and it's been one of the more perplexing uh, things of, of the season because you know we have seen him uh, effective as a runner both at Notre Dame, but also uh, at Florida State, just in terms uh, of scrambling and evading the pocket. You know what you saw against Boston College uh, when when he evaded and he evaded two rushers and got loose to to avoid a safety. Uh, that was a really fantastic play. The the only difference is, you know, we're used to seeing at Notre Dame, he, he makes that type of scramble and then throws a 40 yards downfield for a big gain, whereas here he's just running it for a 14-15-yard uh, uh, gain. It, it just seems like everything is it's just the wires are crossed, you know. It's like the uh, like he's, he's running when he needs to throw, throwing when he needs to run, and it just it isn't quite syncing up there. I don't know that it's uh, it's a lack of ability. I, I just I wonder how comfortable he truly is still and if that's allowing him, or rather not allowing him, to play uh, with his instincts as much as he would like. I made the comment earlier to Tom, um, uh, Tim, about you know maybe the Wake Forest game, even though he's a fifth-year graduate transfer, you still got new in the system and, you know, quote-unquote, the light coming on, and it might just be an overnight uh, resurgence. He's hit a wall, and, and, and Coach uh, Fisher has talked about this with some other kids. I mean, he's hit a wall, and, and getting past that over it, around it, under it, however it's going to be, um, is, is a pretty big challenge for him right now. 
No, it, it definitely is, and, and I think that in that respect, the, this week's game is, is a pretty big one. I think that both he and the offense need to come out and perform well, and I do think that they will. I think the bye week offered them a chance to, to tighten some things up, and, and also you know playing away for should be a, a pretty decent tune-up for for Miami. But the other side of that is if it doesn't come together and, and they struggle the same way they did against USF uh, and Boston College, then I'm not sure how long. Uh, the status quo will remain unchanged. Well, I'll I'll push you on that point. Worst case scenario, how how long how long do you go with him before you before you go to Sean? What what's the the worst case best case scenario? Well, being put on the spot, I, I don't think it's very long uh, because again, Miami's coming next week. There's a pretty good chance that that both teams are going to be undefeated going into that one. And I think if, if you're considering a move, Sean McGuire, uh, it's it's not terribly fair to him. To, to ask him to, to for that to be his first action of the season, or or even worse, you know, wait until if you happen to be down, uh, you know, fourteen, you know, fourteen points or twenty one points to Miami. I think I made that point last week, uh, and then you're going to tap Sean McGuire and say, "Hey, go save the day." I don't think you want to do that either. So, I, I honestly believe I, I, I you know, kind of went back and forth on this for a while, and I, I still think that Ever Golson's going to be your guy uh, against Wake Forest, at least as a starter. But but if things aren't looking improved. I mean, honestly, in, in the first and second quarters, I don't think it would take very long for, uh, for Jimbo Fisher to see what he has in, in Sean McGuire. Uh, Tim, this might be, not be a fair question, but you're around a lot of the local media, uh, and, and you see them every opportunity that they have. Uh, what do you hear amongst your peers? What are they saying? Kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, uh, about midway through last week, it really seemed like there was a, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of chatter uh, a lot of momentum surrounding the idea that, that Sean McGuire would be taken over. Uh, and then that seems to have kind of cooled off a little bit. I, I should let you know that, that in everything I've seen from uh, from practice and being able to, to, to watch the open portions, uh, it's still been Everett Golson taking the first team reps. It's still been Sean McGuire taking the second team reps. And I don't think you can discard that. I think that's, that's still pretty significant. Uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher's not going to waste reps just to keep up appearances. If he thinks Sean's his guy, Sean's going to take the first team reps. Uh, but that said, it, it did seem kind of come to come out of nowhere this sort of groundswell uh, of an idea that, that they could be making a move um and and i do think that they you know it, it's on the table uh but i think maybe it's a, a little bit premature to say uh definitively that, that it's going to be sean's job hey, well that's called the open weekend all kinds of extra time for uh speculation for everybody like us tim let's talk about who's running first team uh snapping the ball to everett golson then because that seems to be a question mark right now too where are they going to go at center and again, that's, that's a, uh, tough questions with uh, with no real clear answer. Uh, I would be on the lookout for Ryan Hofeld. Uh, again, he's a guy that, that has a lot of experience and, and just hasn't been been healthy uh, for for much of the season. I think that had he been uh, for all of fall camp and, and beyond, that he he probably uh, would have been the front runner to start there. But uh, I think the, the fact of the matter is, Corey Martinez had an opportunity to uh, to seal up the job. Uh, and while he's been okay, uh, I think they aren't aren't especially satisfied, particularly with the way uh, the, they're snapping the ball. Uh, and when you have an offense that's struggling uh, the way Florida State has over the last few weeks, everything factors in, whether it's a, a bad snap or missed blocks or drops from the receivers, and we've seen all those things uh, over the past few weeks. So uh, anything that can be addressed uh, is going to be addressed. And, and while Jimbo Fisher uh, was, was kind of – he said they're continuing, basically continuing to evaluate the center position, but we've seen Ryan Hofeld taking a lot of first-team reps in the open portion of practice. And, and again, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if it ended up being Corey Martinez again on Saturday because, you know, remember last season, how often did we see Cameron Irving uh, working at center uh, before they finally made the move? So just because uh, things look a certain way in practice, especially in, in September, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that's what we're going to see on Saturday, uh, but it's something to keep an eye on. Ironically, I think it was last year against Wake Forest that Hofeld got into the game. I think that's the game that uh, Barron went down with injury, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, um, Kelly is announced, I guess, uh, as the starting right tackle. I think they've made that move, but you talked about that last week. The the other popular topic of conversation that I've heard this week is, uh, you know, nothing against uh, Bobo and Kermit, but when are some of the six three, six four, six five receivers going to get into the mix? Do you think anything's going to change in that rotation there? I, I don't see it, uh, at least not immediately, and then not until you know if it works out where this game were to get out of hand, then yeah, I, I think you see those guys uh, get into it. But uh, it, it's kind of what we talked about uh, earlier, and, and I think it, it, it applies here as well with uh, with the running back. Uh, you know, Jimbo has his guys that, that he trusts, uh, and, and in crunch time and when it matters, he's very rarely does he go away from those guys. And 
And it, it's tough for, for those receivers to, to make an impact. You know, we didn't see Travis Rudolph really come on the scene until about halfway through last season. So uh, I, I would expect those guys to, to come on uh, as the season progresses, but I still feel like it's a little bit early, and they're just – it's kind of weird in a way. There really hasn't been much buzz surrounding those guys uh, at all. It's been been mostly, um, you know, like you said, Bobo and, and Kermit. And I tell you, the guy that I'm I'm kind of wondering uh, when we might see him come on is uh, is Pig Harrison, uh, the player who who got all kinds of buzz in uh, in spring camp. Uh, had a really, you know, I thought a pretty nice spring game, and then we haven't seen very much of him uh, over over the course of the season. And you would think that. If anybody has a chance to emerge sooner rather than later, it might be him. Well, the other part of that too, Tim, is that that Jimbo has chosen to go with two wide as opposed to three and four wide. And you know, if there's only two wide receivers out there, you know, it's going to be the two older guys in in most situations. So, you know, it's it's a, a chicken versus the egg in terms of when they get their reps and when they get the opportunity to be looked at. I think, and it all goes back as as we've been talking to to Golson and what what Jimbo is comfortable, what situations he's comfortable putting Everett in. Yeah, no question. And, and again, it goes back to I think we talked about it a little bit before. Is is that as, as much as Everett, you know, bears some of the responsibility for for what's gone on here, and, and he certainly does. Uh, everybody sort of has a piece of the pie here. It, it, you know, between Everett, between the offensive line being a little bit leaky, uh, between the receivers, uh, when when there is a play, you know, how many drops have we seen uh, over this season? And, and so, you know, it, it, everybody I think shares in the responsibility. Uh, here and so again, when you when you can only put two uh, two wide receivers on the field, well, well, what does that mean? You're you're probably worried about spreading the field too much because you're worried about your pass protection, uh, and and they quite clearly are. So it's not just a quarterback issue, it's not just a receiver issue, and it's not just a line issue. I think everybody has to get better. We don't want to hear that coach speak, Tim. We want you to tell us there's an isn't there an easy button on the sideline somewhere? You just push that big red button and everything fixes itself. Well, I've been looking for it, but uh, but it's it's just it's not showing up so far. <laughs> hey, you mentioned that Jimbo, you know, he goes with who he trusts, and that's a true statement in terms of the backup running back position with Mario Pender out this week. Uh, he's he's spoken pretty glowingly about both Patrick. Uh, oh, and my mind just went Vickers. Blind. Thank Jonathan you. Vickers. Yeah, and Vickers. So, so who's going to get? Uh, you know, who's who's number two there behind Dalvin this week? I it's it, it, it's I really go back and forth on it. I, I kind of think that it might be Jonathan Vickers, uh, and I, I think Jacques Patrick's maybe a, a little bit more exciting, has a little bit more of an upside. But I think for in terms of a, a reliable, steady player who's uh, who's versatile uh, and, and also has an extra year in the system. Uh, I think it could be Jonathan Vickers the first guy that you see. Uh, that said, I, I expect both of them to uh, to get some carries, especially like we said with the receivers. If it gets a little lopsided uh, in the second half, uh, but then the other side of that is if it doesn't and if it remains close, uh, I think it's going to be kind of what you saw against USF with Dalvin Cook. Uh, it, it's going to be Dalvin's show until it doesn't need to be any longer. Does that make sense? Yeah, two two uh, words, pass pro, and I think Vickers is uh, heads uh, heads and away uh, above Patrick in terms of the ability to keep Everett upright. Like you might expect for a player. Who's exactly, exactly, exactly. Tim, good stuff as always. Travel safe, uh, pack the rain gear, and uh, we'll see you close to Snuggy Hill at uh, Winston-Salem this week. I'll look forward to it, guys. Thanks. <laughs> All righty, that is our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. And uh, remember, Jimbo Fisher's postgame press conference streams live following every home game. You can catch his Monday press conference. Uh, do it live on your phone or tablet or the old school way via your 400-pound desktop computer like Keith has. It also... Uh, is free doesn't require a subscription seminal what's my password yeah exactly just write it right next to the, you know on the desk where they advise you not to just write it right there and keep it on that first thing that I pulls thought it was out. a yellow sticky thing on it well then you can do that too makes it quicker for all involved all right we'll step aside come back with some final thoughts here on the front row Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Just a couple more minutes before we say adios uh, until next week. Good show again. Good to hear from Lamarcus Brutus. Tim Linnefelt with some interesting perspective. We thank uh, you guys for, for tuning in. KJ, uh, general thoughts on what you expect to see uh, at Wake Forest this weekend? I, I think this is going to be more uh, indicative of the rest of the season than maybe your opening game. In other words, 
the three games that have been played, we kind of archive and put away. This is another season, as it were, starting. starting, uh, And and it'll be interesting to see how Everett performs. Uh, I hate hate to use the term what leash Jimbo gives him or doesn't give him in terms of uh, what is expected. Uh, I think you you need to recognize, to pay attention, that, that there'll be some probably telltale signs that would all of us would call and say it's time for McGuire or not if that light comes on. Um, you know, we didn't talk with Linnefeld uh, a little bit, but they're doing some other personnel changes on the offensive line. You're going to have some new starters, but you may have maybe even have one starter that was starting at tackle is now starting at guard as they continue to mismatch and, and put together that. Uh, it, it, this is just a big ball game. I, re- I realize it's Wake and Florida State's heavily favored, but but this is a big ball game for a lot of other reasons. Yeah, it's interesting because the calendar turns to October, and on the one hand, uh, glass is half empty. If nothing works out, the team comes off the track, and there's and and there's off the tracks rather, and there's some some L's ahead. On the other hand, you say, well, you beat Wake, Miami's here, and you know they've got a talented quarterback, but their defense isn't much, so that sets up well. Louisville's really struggled this year. Georgia Tech has two losses. I mean, you can make a case the other way that you're going to go into November in that game at Clemson with all W's. Exactly, and I mean, and you can pull all kinds of numbers. I pulled some of them. One of them. Uh, I don't, don't know if you're aware or not, but tomorrow night, you know, Miami is playing on Thursday night. You know, they, they have the all-time best winning percentage on Thursday nights. They're is that eight, right? They're eighteen and three on Thursday nights. Uh, NC State is four and zero, oh, beating teams by an average margin of thirty something points. Oh, you're talking about four and zero oh this year, not on yeah. Thursday nights. No, no, you, on jumped, Thursday, you jumped off. Th- th- I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, you know, yeah, Boston NC- College leads the country in 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 defense by a large margin. And granted, they've only played a number of games, and they had Hampton in, in there and all that kind. Of, but what I'm saying is, no one expected Louisville to have losses. No one expected Georgia Tech to have losses. No one expected uh, this, that, or the other. And this is just a—it's a weird early part to the season. And and I don't really know where Florida State in the national picture fits in. And certainly, with all the questions regarding the offense, what's going to be the outcome? It this is a big ball game on Saturday. Period. The end. Well said. One thing we can assure you: we won't have the answers next week either. We may have more questions though when we get together and do the front row again. Well, if the light comes on forever, we'll know that. If it doesn't, we'll expand the show to three hours because it'll take that long to discuss it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Makes it interesting, though, anyway. The, un- the unknown makes it a little more interesting than the predictable in some ways. Thanks for joining us always. We'll talk to you next week on the front row. Hey,